Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. You know, for nothing going on, we got some stuff going on this morning. Okay, no games, I know. But when we do get back to games, it's not going to be long now. The Clippers are getting a new arena. See the stuff? Balmer's buying a forum for $400 million. Everyone gets to keep their jobs. going to keep doing music. Yeah, keep the shows coming until he builds his new arena next door. Next door is where the new Rams uh, NFL stadium is going up. Chargers are going to play in it, too. And uh, they're going to put a new uh, high-end NBA arena there. You watch. And so then all those workers will move over from the forum into the new place, and they'll be booking in even more high-end shows. It's L.A. They can do a concert every night in L.A. It's, they can do two with Staples Center. It's a Staples Center. Who cares? So Balmer's going to get his deal. And then the other L.A. story, the, uh, the Rams, the new logo's out, and people don't like it. So they said if you raise uh, $2 bucks for charity, uh, we'll read 10 mean tweets on the air. So, you know, they played it into something fun and raised some money. There you go. Uh, locally, the big story, Kalani Sataki. And he's going to join us later in the show. Uh, Kalani Sataki um, did some interviews yesterday, uh, did a uh, conference call, and talked about uh, all the missionaries returning home that you've heard about. Well, there's a lot of athletes in that mix. There's a lot of football players in that mix. And they're all coming home at once, and BYU isn't going to have scholarships for them all. So how is that going to get sorted out? More questions than answers right now. But I think we're going to see a couple things, and we can talk with Kalani about this. Um, One... We'll see some maybe of the high-end athletes squeeze in right now, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of guys who are coming back now thinking, how can I get into football shape in time for camp? We're already in late March here, and so I wouldn't be surprised if some of them don't enroll in school, if the majority of them don't enroll in school in the fall and slide into the next recruiting class and are – you know, show up, quote-unquote, early, right, and enroll in school in January so they're ready for spring ball. That gives them, what, nine, ten months to get their legs under them before they really have to get going. Uh, a lot of scholarships are committed. Now, a few guys may land somewhere, and, you know, there might be a few people who uh, decide, hey, I'm going to go play at Weber State or something like that, you know, big sky. But I would think that not only is BYU looking at a lot of players, but you know, there might be some other schools in the West, whether it's Pac-12 or Mountain West or uh, Big Sky, who are thinking, oh, there could be a domino effect here, and I can get a guy or two. So we'll see how that all plays out. We'll talk with Kalani about that coming up. Uh, there's more going on, but we got to take a break right now. When we come back, we're going to talk NFL. Uh, we've had him on the show before. He's got a million opinions. Jason Cole, he's, got, uh, he's covered the NFL for years, uh, got a Hall of Fame ballot. Uh, Jason Cole next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Jason Cole, veteran NFL reporter and Hall of Fame voter. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Jason, good morning. Hello. Hi, Jason. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. 
You, uh, unlike a lot of sports reporters, have actually had sports to cover over the course of the last uh, week or two. <laughs> How odd is that? Uh, we we got a, a lot of stuff to run I'm not through. Sure if you call free agency sports or if you just call it a sideline to sports, that's what I'm always really fascinated. Like, is it a competitive thing? I mean, I guess that since there are winners and losers in the off season, then then I guess then you would refer to it as sport. Normally, I would I would totally get where you're going, but these are unusual times. So right now, it's definitely sports. You know, I guess it's if there the were best, it's the yeah. best we got. And right, so exactly. That's where we're go. Yeah. So <laughs> I think everyone is curious. Do you view the Bucks now as still the pathetic Bucks, and they'll find a way to go, you know, six and ten because that's what they do, or Brady makes them a playoff team, especially now that we're going to have seven playoff teams apparently in the NFC. Well, I took them seriously last year. I mean, if you just take away the turnovers, yep. And, yeah, I mean, 30 interceptions, I think there are 12 fumbles in there. Uh, maybe there's seven, seven or eight of them lost. If you take away Jameis Winston's turnovers, that becomes a winning team. They were 7-9. and nine. I, I, Easily, you go to probably 10-6 and six with that team, maybe 11-5. and five. And a lot of people, you know, his turnovers, he had more touchdown passes. You know, he led the league in touchdown. He had 5,000 yards. That's true. But oftentimes that was because he was making up for the hole that he dug himself into. And the example of that is that seven of those interceptions were returned for scores. So put it, putting it another way, Jameis Winston scored 49 points for the other team last year. That's an average of a field goal a game, right? So when you're having to overcome your quarterback like that, if you go to a quarterback who can keep those interceptions down to, say, a dozen which is pretty typical for, for Brady, if not, if not lower, now, then it makes him a contender. The big catch in all this is Brady's not going to be able to work with a bunch of new guys um, this entire offseason. Uh, he's not going to be able to you know, be in a group, in a classroom situation with the offensive coordinator, you know, Byron Leftwich, with Brian, I'm sorry, with, you know, with Bruce Arians. He's not going to be in a, in a classroom setting or a field setting with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Cameron Brait and uh, O.J. Howard and all these guys that he's going to have to work with. So you wonder what is that going to matter and what is how is it going to impact the early part of next season if they don't get together until late July, August at the earliest um, at this point. I mean, and given what happened with the Olympics today, I would say that we're probably going to be asking some questions about what time are we going to be starting a training camp uh, for the NFL. That's going to be the next question. Uh, so given all of that, you know, I don't think Brady is going to be the Brady that we've seen at the top of his game in New England. He's still going to be vastly better than um, a 30-interception 30, a 30 quarterback who you know, threw seven interceptions that were returned for scores last year. And that by itself turns the Buccaneers into a winning team and probably a playoff team. I got uh, a quote from Terry Bradshaw that I want to throw at you, Jason, and get your response. He says, why in the world does Tom Brady want to keep playing at 43 other than prove to New England? He's more important than Bill Belichick. The only thing I could think of is ego gets involved. (laughs) So you dismiss that completely? Terry Bradshaw is a 
has just been making money off of hollow remarks for since 1983 when he ripped John Elway. It's it's been a great living. But he's profiteered off of ripping other people for either wanting to take advantage of whatever leverage they had or simply wanting to play a kid's game as long as you can. I mean, you know, this... Look, does Tom Brady want to prove that, you know, he's the reason that they won? If that's the reason, fine. Okay, that that's a good enough reason. But he wants to compete. He wants to play. He wants to prove something. He wants to do something unique and different. And that's not to be, like, tossed aside. And let me just say this. Terry Bradshaw will probably play until his 40s um, if his elbow hadn't given way, right? So... I mean, Terry needs to just shut up and, and stop it with the stupid opinions. I mean, it's really it's 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 just cheap. It's just it's just old griping man who's not appreciating the fact that somebody's trying to do something with their life and is taking advantage of every opportunity. And I just go back to what Hollywood Henderson said long ago about Terry Bradshaw. He couldn't spell cat if he spotted him the C and the A. Jason Cole, veteran NFL reporter and Hall of Fame voter, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So uh, should we assume that the uh, Sunday night football, Monday night football, and Thursday night football is just going to have tons of games out of the NFC South and that certainly the Saints and the Bucks are going to be an early Sunday night game? Is this going to turn into a glamour division now based on the quarterbacks they've got there, certainly with Breeze and Brady? I think it was pretty much a glamour division beforehand. But, yeah, you get Breeze and Brady on the same field at the same time. Yeah, they're going to be selling that in prime time. No question about it. So, I mean, that becomes the next best matchup since, you know, Brady and Manning, right? So, uh, yeah, I absolutely think that's going to be a huge deal. Um, I haven't taken a look at the Buccaneers' schedule closely to know what their other games are, but I think you're going to see them a lot on prime time. You'll probably see them. I would say four to five times in either a Sunday, Monday, or Thursday night game. Uh, I, you know, they're going to milk that for everything that they can and then that storyline. So, yeah, in, in my mind, no question they're going to be there. And you can add the Saints in there. I think, you know, it's questionable about what you're going to see with the Carolina Panthers and the Falcons in that division. Those two teams seem to be falling a little bit um, more. Atlanta probably can muster it together because they've still got Ryan. But the transition that Carolina's about to go through is probably going to be pretty difficult um, in the next two to three years. So that's the one team in that division that's lost some luster um, as they see the transition away from Cam Newton um, to a new quarterback and a new leadership group. I just checked their schedule looking ahead. I hadn't done that. I can't believe people haven't written about this. They've got the Packers at home. They've got the Chiefs oh, yeah, at home. Put that one up right now. Yeah, they got the they got the Rams at home. Holy cow! Yep. They got the Vikings at home. Yeah, they got a schedule. So they've got the entire NFC North. So Detroit, Chicago, Minnesota, Green Bay. Yeah, two of those games are, are at least two of those games. If not the Chicago game, becomes you know become highlight games. So that. And if they're taking on the West, that means they have their first two teams. That's Seattle in that one as well. Or no, they would have no, they would have the Rams and then they would have Arizona. 
would probably be the other game out of that division if I'm if I'm reading it correctly. But um, I mean, uh, look, you're you're dead on right that they're going to be on TV four to five times uh, on primetime games this season, which is a huge step up for that Buccaneer team. So, Jason, I've read where down in Houston that O'Brien taking a ton of grief for giving away or trading away. I guess giving it depends. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, and I know they got David Johnson back. What was going on there? Because it looked like Hopkins, I mean, he slipped a little bit last year, but still is only, I think, going to be 28 years old and has an opportunity to have a lot of good years left in terms of them getting rid of them. What was going on? Well, I've said this a couple times already, and, and I truly believe it, is that have you ever gone to a casino and you're playing at the blackjack table and the dude who's had about eight free drinks walks up to the table and he's just like throwing his chips down and and he, and he thinks that you know, he's just talking a lot and, and you just get that groan and you go, oh, God, this is about to be terrible. <laughs> and you know that he's going to do something like split kings, right? Thinking that, yeah, I can turn this into a couple of a couple of blackjacks instead of just sitting on your twenty, right? That's Bill O'Brien. Like he just took a pair of kings and DeAndre Hopkins and said, "I'm going to split these and see what I can make happen when I take David Johnson and some picks." Uh, Sometimes it's best to just stand pat when you have great players, and sometimes you just have to pay those guys. Even And sometimes you have to get along with guys that you don't necessarily get along with and figure it out. And this is the latest. I mean, he did this with Jadavian Clowney. Now, granted, Jadavian Clowney was not nearly as accomplished a player as DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins is the real deal. That's, he's a man, okay? He's a guy who changes the game. Jadavian Clowney wasn't really that guy, but I would also blame Bill O'Brien a little bit on Jadavian Clowney because he didn't get it out of Jadavian Clowney. He comes back a little bit to O'Brien on that one, okay? But he certainly got every bit of ability out of DeAndre Hopkins and decided to trade him for a running back. And while they need a running back, there's no question about that, and they need to upgrade that running game overall, you don't do it with an overpaid veteran guy. All right, you... Go draft a guy, go find some solutions, go find a James White uh, to work in concert with, um, you know, with another running back, and you piece it together some other way. You don't trade away the guy who the opposing defense looks and goes, we got to know what that dude is doing every single play. And in other words, you don't split kings. Sometimes that comes up. Ace, ace. Most of the time, it comes up five, six, and that's a bad play. And I think that overwhelmingly, this is going to come up five, six, and it's going to cost Bill O'Brien his job. And I know that there probably aren't a lot of really serious gamblers in Salt Lake City, but I hope most people get that reference. I think we can do the math. You got twenty. The game's twenty-one. You're in pretty good shape. So yeah. along those lines, I don't know what the perfect analogy would be, but I think on the surface you probably don't realize how closely people follow the Chiefs here. 
and partly because there are a lot of Bronco fans here. The Chiefs are in the same division, but really mm-hmm. because Andy Reid went to BYU and he knows a lot of people sure. here and a lot of people know him. And then he ends up with Alex Smith, a quarterback who went to the University of Utah. Now, I think Alex Smith has shown that uh, when healthy, and obviously now it's a different situation after his injury, but when healthy, he was able as a veteran to get teams to the playoffs. And when Andy mm-hmm. Reid, without a thought, said, Mahomes is the guy, and he moves Alex Smith, I'm like, wow, he's all in. And then you start watching, and, you know, I'm just a fan who wants to be entertained. Well, I'm all aboard. It didn't take long to figure out, man, Mahomes is like Brett Favre, to go back to your Winston thing, he's the gambler, but he doesn't throw the picks the way Favre does. But he's just mm-hmm. as good at making the big play out of thin air. So do you think he's set up – and the Chiefs could go back-to-back. Could we be talking dynasty? Or, like Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, like Drew Brees with the Saints, hey, they'll always be good, but that one Super Bowl season is magical, and there's no guarantee you're getting a second one, no matter how good you are. And those guys are Hall of Famers, but they haven't been able to get the second one. Look, it took Andy Reid 21 years to win a Super Bowl, longer than anybody, any coach in the history of the game who won one, right? Like, the next closest guy, I think, was Bill Cowher at 14. And all of a sudden, now we're like pegging him. It's going to be go to go back to back, right? Like, just enjoy the one first, and then let's you know, let's get to the second. But that said, like he's as situated as anybody to to do it, right? Because he has um, he has the best quarterback in the league right now in terms of youth and athletic talent, and also a really great understanding of how you're supposed to play, which is not just the game of football, but sports in general, which uh, I, I would give a lot of credit to his dad. You know, like, you play the next play, you play the next pitch. You know, don't worry about what happened in the last one, move forward to the next one, you know, and, and be focused on the next play. And I think if you talk to really great uh, players, they say a, a something similar about like that all the time. I mean, I remember talking to John Elway, and he would sit there and say, yeah, the next play. I, I can't worry about what happened in the past, and I can't anticipate too much down the road. I got to worry about the next play. Marino would say the same kinds of things. Joe Montana. You know, you, you basically you have no memory um, of anything that bad that happened. You're moving on to what you have to focus on. So I think Mahomes has that. So if anybody's going to be able to to make that happen, he's as good a candidate. But we're, we're talking about a very few number of people who are able to accomplish that. Brady being one of them, John Elway being one of them, Joe Montana being one of them, who've won back-to-back Super Bowls, even Terry Bradshaw, who I ripped earlier, um, was able to do, was able to do that twice. Um, but yeah, Mahomes, they, ha- they have everything in place. I would also say that they need to take advantage of it while Kelsey and Hill are still at the top of their game. Because as those guys fade, um, you're going to see that the Chiefs are going to have to change a lot what they do, and Mahomes is going to have to adjust as well. You mentioned Cam Newton. What do you think is going to happen there? Oh, I think that Cam's pretty close to being done. I They'll probably hang around the league for another three or four more years, depending on who he chooses to play for. Um, maybe he can resuscitate his career. My problem with 
Cam Newton is that at a certain point in your career, you have to learn that carrying the ball as much as you do and taking the kind of physical abuse that he did, while that is heroic and wonderful and deserving of great respect, the truth is that nobody survives that. Um, the other guys on defense are too big, too fast, too strong, and they're going to wear you out. And so while Cam Newton will forever hold the record, and, and this will probably go unbroken for 40 years, um, you know, unless Lamar Jackson somehow miraculously survives, right? Um, the record for five seasons with 100 carries by a quarterback, which is, I think, Randall Cunningham had three, and nobody else has uh, and I think there may be one guy with two, and it might be Michael Vick. Um, I think that that record will stand for a long, long time because coaches know you just can't physically do that to a quarterback, no matter how big, no matter how strong. And I think the other problem for Cam Newton is that he never learned that sort of internal clock, which is you count to three and the ball better be out of your hand unless it's an extraordinary circumstance. You know, one, two, three, where's the ball going? Uh, because if you hold it much longer than that, um, you're about to get killed. And uh, if you don't have that internal clock, if you don't have that desire to put it in other people's hands, it's hard to, it's really hard to overcome that and you're just going to continue to take punishment. And that's what's happened to him. And that's what happened to his body. And it's unfortunate because he's a great player, but that's not how he chose to play. Jason, let's wrap it up by circling back to where we started. That was Tom Brady. Bill Belichick, what is the plan? Is he going to pull a rabbit out of a hat and amaze us all? Or is he going to dump games and try to get the number one pick and get Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence out of uh, Clemson? Or uh, are they just going to be... Six and ten, eight and eight, and be another team. That's a great question, and I think that they will probably go once the price comes down. I, I think people have talked about this. They're going to go with a guy like Andy Dalton and see if they can make him into what he should be. Now, the question, the problem is that since I'm sitting there with Andy Dalton, thinking that they have that same piece of gold that they had when they had Carson Palmer, right? And they turned Carson Palmer into two first-round picks. I don't think the circumstances are ever going to be the same because I don't think it's going to be where Hugh Jackson is coaching the Oakland Raiders at a time when they need to get a quarterback because of injuries and that because he knows Carson Palmer is willing to give up the two first-round picks to make it happen. Like I, I, those things were special and you know pressurized and forced you know, the Raiders to make a decision that they probably all these years later um, regret. But it set, uh, it set a price tag that Cincinnati is going to want and that Belichick will never pay. Like, he's never doing that, especially not for Andy Dalton. I mean, you'd probably give up a third-round pick for Andy Dalton at this point in time. Or you just sit there and wait for him to cut him. So, like, that is the guy that I think that they're ultimately going to sign or figure out if they're going to sign. If they can't do that, then probably and he probably signs a veteran no matter what. I mean, he's brought in Hoyer already to be a backup, the guy who knows the system. So Hoyer's going to be there to teach whatever young guy that they bring in through the draft and that they'll get some kind of veteran. So I think they're going to end up with three quarterbacks, a veteran, 
a veteran backup in Hoyer, and a young guy to develop. And I know they've got Stidham already, but Stidham just, to me, is so physically limited in terms of his ability to throw the ball around the field that I don't think that Belichick can live with that long-term. I mean, I'd be really surprised if Stidham is really an answer um, for what they're trying to do. Like they've, they've not propped him up in any way the way they propped up Garoppolo. Jason, we appreciate a few minutes and a few opinions, as always. Thanks for joining us. No problem. I've always got plenty of opinions. Talk <laughs> to you later, guys. Be good. There's Jason Cole on the NFL. Coming up next, we'll talk draft. Chris Trapasso covers the draft for CBS Sports, and we'll get into what he thinks of the Aggies and the Utes and the Cougars, what's going to happen with Tonga Vailoa because doctors can't see him because he can't fly around and do what they normally do this time of year leading up to the draft. We'll talk with him next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Time to welcome in... Chris DePasso. Now, he writes about the NFL draft for CBS Sports. And, Chris, good morning. Thanks for having me, DJ. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Now, the NFL draft, that is a very specific area of expertise, but I think based on the Ute, Cougar, and Aggie fans here, in fact, we don't have an NFL team, it still resonates pretty well. But I think first sure. thing, before we get to the players, I want to talk to you about the draft itself. We know it was supposed mm-hmm. to be part of the Raiders coming out party, a big Vegas event like only Vegas can do. I think a lot of people here are curious. The Broncos are the most popular team. The Niners are probably second. Are the Raiders going to crack that here? An event like this might have helped. And, of course, winning always helps. It's not going to be that show. What is it going to be? Do you think it's going to happen on time? And if so, what does it look like? I think it still will happen on April 23rd through the 25th. Um, and I'm not saying that the NFL is, is taking advantage of this pretty bad situation in the country. But the opportunity is there for the NFL uh, multi-billion dollar per season entity to put on a great digital NFL draft. And I think there's still going to be the normal crew um, on set. Maybe there could be a few more people working from home like a Daniel Jeremiah or some of the other analysts. They're probably going to have war room cameras across the entire league. They usually have it in about half or two-thirds of of the league, but I think in the modern day and in 2020, we can have an event like this that is that we tap into Skype, we tap into video conferencing abilities, and just um, being able to show everything on television. So I think the ratings are going to be big, and I truly believe that at, at that point, in about a month, we're all going to be so desperate for some type of live sporting event. Obviously, not a game, but 
beyond the Super Bowl, it's the second biggest event in the NFL season in terms of ratings every year. Uh, I think it's going to have gigantic ratings, and it will ultimately go pretty smoothly. Certainly different from what we're accustomed to, especially over the last decade where it's bounced around to different cities. Uh, but I think everything's going to run smoothly, and we're all just going to be really happy. I'm certainly going to be, as an NFL draft analyst, that we have this draft on time, even though it will be in a studio and more of a digital setting that we've ever seen. Yeah, I'm really going to miss it when Giants fans and Jets fans boo their picks. That'll be the one thing yeah. we won't have. But, you know, <laughs> we'll just have to adapt, right? That seems like a small yep. thing based on everything else that's going on. All right, let's get to the local guys. Obviously, uh, the Utes have a huge senior class headed for the pros. A lot of NFL dreams there. Some guys will be drafted. Others will try to make it as a free agent. They've also obviously got a junior uh, who's making a run at it who should go pretty quickly. How many guys do you think will be drafted off the Utes and how many will uh, still end up in camps and, and be free agents with a realistic shot of making it? What are the numbers there? Well, I think probably two, definitely, uh, with Jordan Love and Tipa Galea will definitely be picked. Um, and the more that I've watched Jordan Love, just to kind of talk about him as, as the headliner from that program, the more I watched him and, and got to more of his film during this pre-draft process, the more I liked. And I, I don't think I've done a radio spot or been on a podcast or written anything about Jordan Love without mentioning the Patrick Mahomes comparison. And that's not to say that I think he is the next Patrick Mahomes. That's how most people feel about him. Um, but stylistically, he's very similar. And I think the NFL has seen how the Chiefs handled Patrick Mahomes. They could make all these wild and crazy throws outside the pocket, off platform, not with the best uh, base underneath him, and still pull them off. Yes, there were some accuracy concerns. There were some decision-making concerns, but – they put him in a situation that was very familiar to him. They didn't have him play right away. I think the team that ultimately drafts Jordan Love um, will try to put him in a similar situation, that they won't say, you need to start week one and we're going to have you under center doing seven-step drops. They're going to let him kind of be this free, wild quarterback out there that, yes, it can lead to some bad plays, but it can lead to some throws that most even NFL quarterbacks are unwilling to pull off and just simply cannot because they don't have the arm strength. They don't have the athleticism. And then in terms of overall Utah uh, State Utes, I think, um, you know, that there could be, um, you know, a few others. And I guess Utah and Utah State, um, you know, there will be a lot. When we're talking just about the Utes, though, um, I think – their entire secondary, basically, from Jalen Johnson to Terrell Burgess, uh, Julian Blackman will all be top 100 picks. Um, and uh, Bradley Anai will certainly be picked within the first couple rounds. Um, there's just a lot of really good players on that defense. And then obviously Utah State, Jordan Love is the true headliner there. What do you think about Tui Tungvaloa at Alabama? What's going to happen there? Well, he just posted a video yesterday on social media of him working out and kind of simulating a drop back and moving away from pressure, so to speak, kind of just showing his footwork. It looked really explosive. And it's funny that in, in the modern day um, that you can post something like that and it can have a really seismic impact. And I think um, just that 10-second video alone probably boosted his stock because there was so much mystery about with him. Like, today was supposed to be his pro day at Alabama, um, so we were going to see that. 
but we're we're obviously not going to now. But just that video boosted his stock. I think um, he will go inside the top five. That the Miami Dolphins are sitting there at number five overall, uh, and and I don't think they're going to be able to just stay put and have Tua Tungavailoa fall to them. I think they will either have to trade up a few picks or we'll have some mystery team, maybe like the Las Vegas Raiders, um, even with Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota, um, at number 12 overall, moving up to get to a tongue of ILO. There, there could be a team that we're not really even talking about beyond those clubs that could be interested. He's just too advanced of a quarterback prospect, and if he's healthy, I think in any other situation, he would be the number two overall pick, even ahead of Chase Young in this draft. So Joe Burrow just had a season for the ages. I can't imagine it could have gone any better, but college doesn't always translate to the pros. Not perfectly. So where is he going to go in this? What are NFL teams thinking about him? Well, he's still locked in to go number one overall to the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, And there's really not a lot to dislike about him. And being at the Senior Bowl, being at the Combine, the the two main events leading up to the draft, um, most of the conversations that I had with a lot of people down there, media, some team employees, um, was that he's a, a very clean prospect. The only two areas, if you do have to kind of write in some type of weakness, because he's not completely flawless, would be the fact that it's really only one year of this elite-level play. Uh, In 2018, toward the end of his season at LSU, Joe Burrow looked like he was maybe turning a corner, but certainly did not look like a a first-round quarterback. Um, And secondly, he doesn't have a huge arm. Uh, So when you're picking someone number one overall, especially a quarterback, you're liking to check off all the boxes. You're looking every year the team's picking number one overall um, in history, like to have an Andrew Luck type of situation where size, arm strength, athleticism, smart, decision-making, accuracy. I think Joe Burrow checks off a lot of those boxes, but just the one year and not the great arm are really what I heard and kind of how I view him too, that, that kind of make him not be a flawless prospect, but I still think he's the best quarterback in this draft class. And when you factor in positional value, uh, that's why he's my number one overall player. I think maybe Chase Young overall is just a better football player at his respective position, but obviously the quarterback moves the needle a lot more, even than an edge rusher. So with the quarterback moving the needle, what do you think about Justin Herbert to the Chargers? Yeah, I mean, with Cam Newton just getting released, I think that would be a perfect fit for Cam Newton going to the Chargers if they decide not to sign Cam Newton or or just can't get a deal done. I think that situation for Justin Herbert would be ideal because I really like Justin Herbert almost more than some of the other draft analysts. I think he got a little bit nitpicked um, in his senior season. His head coach, Mario Cristobal, did not really ask him to do that much. He's a former offensive lineman. They wanted to run the football. They had a very veteran-laden offensive line. But we've seen in his Oregon career that he can carry the load. He can be the focal point of an offense. And really, Justin Herbert can make throws that Tua Tungavailoa and even Joe Burrow can't make. His arm is that special. He's 6'6". Great leadership. Tons of experience. More than the two other quarterbacks. Um, So to go to the Chargers, they have Tyrod Taylor there. He wouldn't necessarily need to play week one. But if things are going a little haywire halfway through the season, I think he could take the reins in the middle of the year. Or maybe it could be a Patrick Mahomes-type situation where he waits his entire rookie season and then takes the reins in 2021. I think in the right situation, we could be talking about 
Justin Herbert as, as one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL because talk about checking all the boxes. Um, he really does it. Occasionally, you kind of wonder, oh, why did he not pull the trigger? Why did he check down? Or why did he miss that wide-open throw? But he very, very steady player, and the physical tools, all the leadership is certainly there. So I, I'm a big fan of Justin Herbert, and landing number six overall to the Chargers would make the most sense after them moving on from Phillip Rivers. Chris Trapasso joining us from CBS Sports. He covers the NFL draft. Do the Patriots like a young quarterback in this? Are they staying with Stidham, trying to give him another year to develop? Uh, what are they doing post-Brady there? Well, I've had this theory that Bill Belichick, I mean, we, we can't envision the Patriots without Tom Brady, but we need to start to. That the offense in general has been very dink and dunk. He's been throwing to running backs, tight ends, yards after the catch. Um, but Bill Belichick during his coaching career, and although he's had Tom Brady for the last 20 of those coaching seasons, um, he's always been reinventing himself. They were using two tight ends with Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez before anyone was really doing that. Um, Wes Welker, they cre- almost created the, that slot position or made it really trendy in the NFL. Then they brought in Randy Moss. Tom Brady started throwing it deep. I could see if Jameis Winston continues to just sit on the market and his value decreases, I could see Bill Belichick saying, okay, we're not going to obviously want 30 interceptions from him, but the value at this quarterback position for this young quarterback, he's only 25 years old, um, is just too good to pass up right now. However, like you mentioned, they did draft Jared Stidham last year. Um, They did like him in the preseason. He looked very good in those exhibition games. I could see them saying, all right, here's the heir apparent to Tom Brady. It will keep the offense similar to what it's been over the last two decades. But uh, in terms of the draft, if someone like a Justin Herbert or Jordan Love happened to fall to number 23 overall, I think Bill Belichick understands um, the positional value that he could get at that late in the first round, taking a quarterback. Um, So they're probably the team within round one, and this is uncharted waters for the Patriots, that really no one has any idea what they could do because quarterback has not been a question mark for this team for so long. So I'm kind of the only one out there thinking that they could go Jameis Winston. It would be a lot more of a boomer bust offense. But everyone that I've talked to thinks that right now Jared Stidham is the odds-on favorite to be the week one starter and for them to just start over with a young quarterback in New England. So we know about these four or five quarterbacks expected to go in the first round. Do you like anybody else that you got your eye on as far as quarterback that isn't expected to go in the first round? Uh, not really. I, that's kind of a boring answer, but there's been, like in the 2018 draft class, Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, like that group had five quarterbacks in round one, and I really liked that group. That was like the most hyped quarterback class in a very long time. Beyond the four at the top with Burrow, Tungavailoa, Herbert, and Jordan Love, um, it's really hard for me to even get excited about Jacob Eason. Uh, I think he could slip into the back few picks of round one because he has such a really big arm. And if he lands in the perfect situation where his offensive line is outstanding, I think he could be a good quarterback because he's actually pretty accurate despite having this gigantic arm. Most of those quarterbacks are, are kind of have – wayward accuracy he doesn't so he would probably be that guy for me um there's a lot of buzz about Jalen Hurts and what he did at Oklahoma coming from Alabama um playing in that air raid system that's 
really become very trendy and popular in the NFL. Um, I think he has a ways to go as a passer, deciding where to go with the football, reading defenses. Um, certainly in the Big 12, he didn't have too much of a problem doing that against those defenses. Um, so I, there's not really a, a, a deep sleeper that I think could ultimately be a Dak Prescott or Tony Romo or a Tom Brady or anywhere really close to that. I think maybe Jacob Eason, who's probably going to go in the second round, has the best chance to be the, the finest value pick at the quarterback position in this draft. So I know it's a quarterback league, quarterback, 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 but the Tennessee Titans, they rode Derrick Henry a long way, a second-round pick. Is there a running back in this draft who could be a game-changer for a franchise? Yeah, definitely. Um, and to look at the running back position, you have to think about the positional value. That There's not a better example that why you shouldn't pick a running back in the first round than looking at what happened with Todd Gurley, that – the Rams drafted him inside the top 10. Yes, he had one or two really good seasons, but then they ultimately had to release him. They paid him a ton of money. They had to take a ton of uh, dead cap onto their roster, which they probably did not want to do. They're not in a great cap situation. Um, so to me, it's not just the J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State, um, DeAndre Swift from Georgia, or Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. I like those running backs. They're probably going to be the first three selected. But the two guys, to me, the best value that I think could be franchise running backs, that teams will get just much better value picking them later in the draft, A.J. Dillon from Boston College, you mentioned Derrick Henry. He's 6'3", 247, was just a freak at the combine. A.J. Dillon, six foot, 247. He's the size of a fullback. He ran 4.53. He had the longest broad jump the longest vertical of any running back at the combine. So crazy explosiveness, built like a fire hydrant. I think he could be a Derrick Henry-type running back. I mean, defenders really just bounce off him. Has some cutting ability, too, to make one or two defenders miss. Uh, Fourth or fifth round for him. Maybe he could sneak into the third round. I think that would be great value. And the last guy, Eno Benjamin from Arizona State, and more out your way, Caught 77 passes for the Sun Devils the past two seasons, and it's important to have that receiving ability as a running back in today's NFL. I think he's extremely shifty, spin move, jump cut, great vision between the tackles. He's a little smaller, but he kind of hides behind his offensive line. He could go later than A.J. Dillon. Uh, Also had a good combine, but because he's smaller, I could see him fourth, fifth, sixth round, and I think we'll be talking about both of those running backs in a few seasons as the best value picks at the running back spot in the 2020 draft. How much does a college program's reputation matter when it comes to drafting? What I mean by that, you said Utah's older defensive backs could potentially be drafted, and we know that they've had a very good reputation for producing NFL picks out of that secondary. Oh, I think it's huge that you can hear a scout or a GM say, oh, we don't look at the schools. I mean, do I think that teams are are, are just – blindly picking players from Alabama because it's Alabama or in the secondary from Utah? No, but what you just said at the end of that, that the reputation, the coaching, uh, the type of athletes that these schools get in to their programs, the strength and conditioning programs at the schools, I think they do matter. And the fact that, like you mentioned, there have been tons of Utah defensive players, guys up front. uh, I think Lucky Fotu is going to be picked somewhere in the middle of the draft as a big nose tackle that can also rush the passer a little bit. Um, I think it certainly helps uh, 
players coming from Utah that they have that blue collar um, power mentality. When you're talking about Zach Moss, uh, I I think just the fact that the coaching staff there has done such a good job preparing these players for the NFL. And by the way, it's I don't think it is a matter of could Terrell Burgess, Jalen Johnson, or Julian Blackman all get drafted. I definitely think they're going to be picked within the first three or four rounds of the draft. Blackman's versatility, safety cornerback. Burgess is such a, a valuable safety and that he can drop down, play in the slot, looks like a slot cornerback. And then Jalen Johnson, I have him on my big board at the end of the first round. I think he is a number one cornerback in the NFL and definitely what everything that has been done uh, at that program over the past decade at least certainly helps all of those prospects. They just look like they're NFL-ready, like most of the Utah Utes are once they get to the NFL. So, Chris, I'm curious uh, what NFL people think of BYU's roster, and obviously, uh, you know, Bushman and Kyrus Tong. Bushman's coming back at tight end. Kyrus Tong is going to return in the D-line. Those are a couple guys who might have been in the conversation. I don't know who else they'd be looking at. Maybe Tyson Williams. is How is he viewed? Well, I think uh, Tyson Williams probably uh, is the most highly sought after of the BYU prospects. Um, I did mention or him to a few people down in Mobile that being at South Carolina flashed a little bit there, just never got the carries, and that's kind of led to him transferring. And you saw the same explosiveness at times. His ability to just accelerate out of his cuts and to have power through the tackles, um, I could see him being selected. And the fact that he is an older prospect, but I think with running backs today, teams are like, look, we're going to – draft you you're probably going to only play on one contract here but three or four years that's where we can get the most contributions from you the best contributions um so he's the one that sticks out to me um i could see him going in the sixth or the seventh round it's a good running back class it's not crazy deep so after we get past a few of the guys that i already mentioned once we're into that sixth and seventh round i think teams will really be looking for diamonds in the rough um, to, to give them really good value at the running back spot. And I think Tyson Williams, from what I've seen two years ago at South Carolina and then this past season at BYU, is an NFL player, can be an NFL ball carrier um, and the, you know as a second or a third running back. And with every team going running back by committee, I think that adds another uh, roster spot potentially for him, even if he's a, a late-round pick. He's Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports. He covers the NFL draft. Get ready for the Skype draft. Forget the Vegas draft. It's the Skype draft (laughs) coming soon to a TV near you. Chris, thanks for joining us. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. There's Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports talking NFL draft. When we come back, all the headlines. What is trending? Coming up next, stay with us.